Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 75. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll go, we're going to continue on with Paul's travelogue in chapter 17, uh, where he'll go through Thessalonica and Athens and all kinds of fun places there. So, unless you're driving, turn to Acts chapter 17. And as I said, we see Paul in the Greek city now of Thessalonica. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's significant that we'll see later. Paul, after he establishes this church, he writes two letters uh, to the church at Thessalonica later which, of course, would be First and Second Thessalonians. But here, he's, uh, he's come there for the first time, and as we have seen before in Acts, he first goes to the synagogue and tries to tell uh, the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, who he is, he's wanting to proclaim to them. And it says in verse 4, some of them were convinced and joined Paul and Silas, so too a great number of Greeks who were worshipers and not a few of the prominent women. Women have always been uh, the backbone of the church, I think. Um, but the Jews became jealous and, you know, the rest of the story, they basically, uh, you know, they, they got in trouble. Um, the Jewish leaders stirred up the crowd in verse 8. And um, so anyway, so they got to leave. Story of Paul. You know, he gets a few converts everywhere he goes, but he has a lot of failures. Failures, Just as in our own lives, as we talk to family members, friends, etc., you know, you're, you're not going to hit a home run every time, right? But if you can turn somebody on to the idea that they can have an eternal relationship with Christ, then... Um, you know, then that's that's worth the effort, right? Paul certainly thought so. So now he goes on to Berea in verse 10 of chapter, uh, chapter 17. Now we're going to see something here in verse 11 that our Protestant friends will use as one of their uh, little proof verses, if you will, for their idea that the Bible alone and not the church should be, you know, the uh, the source of all in, uh, of all necessary information about salvation. So it says in verse ten, um, they went to Berea during the night. Why? Because they had to get out of Thessalonica in a hurry. Upon arrival, they went to the synagogue of the Jews in Berea. Verse eleven: These Jews were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with all willingness and examined the scriptures daily to determine whether these things were so. So the Protestant would say, aha, look at verse 11. If somebody tells you something is a truth about God, you got to look it up in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, then it must be true. And if it isn't, then you don't have to uh, listen to it. Okay, so to them, I would, you know, if they're going to point out verse 11, I'm going to say, okay, what scriptures was, was it, what scripture was it that the Bereans turned to to see if things were true? Well, the answer is certainly not any books of the New Testament because they weren't written yet, okay? The only books of scripture that existed at the time 
that uh, uh, this would have been written or, 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 or the Bereans would have received Paul would have been what? The Old Testament. So probably Paul was showing them all of the prophecies of the Savior, probably from Isaiah, probably from Psalms, etc. And so they would have looked up those and said, yeah, that makes sense. This guy, this Jesus must be the you know the Messiah that was referred to in all of these Old Testament verses that Paul is giving us, but clearly not the you know the New Testament because it hadn't been written yet. Okay, so uh, there's our answer to that. Then so again he gets he gets some converts. And then there's also a commotion. And so once again, they have to leave again. Um, so the pattern continues. So the travelogue continues. Now he goes to Athens, which of course is in Greece. And Athens is a city of idols. Okay, lots of statues of Greek gods. Okay, so he debates in the synagogue with the Jews uh, we see in verse 17 of chapter 7. And, you know, some people, you know, think it's okay and some don't. Um, they were a little uncomfortable about the idea of, uh, of uh, Paul talking about Jesus and the resurrection. But some of them are curious. Um, and they, Paul stood, goes to the Areopagus, which is, you know, a, a place where, you know, I guess you can, uh, um, you can go to, it says in verse 21, all the Athenians as well as all the foreigners residing there in, in Athens use their time for nothing else but telling or hearing something new. So it's a place where you can go, you know, just speak in public. So Paul's pretty smart, right? Because he knows there's going to be a lot of Greeks there. And they're going to reject the Bible. That's not part of their thing. So this is a good strategy for us to use. Uh, rather than saying, hey, turn to Exodus chapter whatever to the Greeks who would reject the Bible, what does he do? Well, let's see. Verse 22, he addresses them. You Athenians, I see that in every respect you are very religious. For as I walked around looking carefully at your shrines, now remember there's shrines all over the place to all these Greek gods, I even discovered an altar inscribed to an unknown god. What therefore you unknowingly worship, I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all that it is in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in sanctuaries made by human hands, you know, you know like what you have here, uh, because he need uh, uh, because he needs anything. Rather, it is he who gives everyone life and breath and everything. And he goes on and explains about this one God. And uh, so um, you know that's kind of different. So what's the message for us? Find something in common with the person that you're speaking with. Don't use the Bible if you're talking to someone who rejects the idea of God. Because, you know, the Bible is, they would reject the Bible too, right? So you find something in common with them. Maybe a problem that they're having. And, you know, they're depressed or, you know, they've lost a loved one or they lost a job. And, you know, you can talk to them about that. 
and then you can talk to them about God is with them all the time, whether they realize it or not. So this is a very important concept. We find something in common with the person. We don't hit everybody over the head with the Bible if they reject the idea of a God or of, of the Bible being true. Okay, there'll be time enough for that later after they accept that there is a God and that they want to have a relationship with them. Then we start talking about the Bible. But that's not what Paul does here. Um, Paul goes on, verse 28, in him, in God, you know, we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, and here's a quote from a Greek poet, for we too are his offspring, close quotes. So he quotes not the Bible, but Greek poets. And um, he, he says, since therefore we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divinity is like an image fashioned from gold, silver, and stone by human art and imagination. God has overlooked uh, the, the times of ignorance, but now he demands that all people everywhere repent because he has established a day on which he will judge the world with justice through a man he has appointed and he has provided confirmation from all by raising him from the dead. So, okay, this is kind of a controversial thing, right? So some people are kind of interested in this. They're going, yeah, if we're the offspring of this God, you know, then why are we looking at these idols and believing that they are in fact gods? So verse 32, when they heard about resurrection of the dead, some began to scoff, but others were kind of curious. And it says in verse 34, some did join him and became believers. So again, a lot of rejection, but you know, some affirmation, some people join the church. So Paul's got to move on now. And we're at chapter 18, where he goes to Corinth. Now, Corinth is an interesting place because uh, Corinth has a statue to, um, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, this God of Aphrodite. You know, I'm going to back up a little bit before we get to what's going on in, in, in Corinth. I want to go back to what we talked about with the uh, Paul in Berea. And our Protestant friends claim that, you know, everything you need to know is, is in Scripture, is explicit in Scripture. Okay, if that's your claim, if you're a Protestant and that's your claim, hey, everything you need to know morally, etc., is is in Scripture, then I would ask them, okay, do you believe that polygamy is moral? And I, I promise you virtually every one of them would say, no, you know, you can only have one wife. And I'd say, okay, where is that in the Bible? Or where is that in the New Testament? And of course it isn't, you know, unless you want to be a deacon, uh, you know, there is something in there about, you know, you should be the husband of one wife and all that sort of thing. But unless you want to be a deacon or, or a bishop of the church, uh, or excuse me, a deacon or an elder of the church, it's not even mentioned. It's implicit, but it's not explicit in Scripture. Also, the doctrine of the Trinity itself, that is implicit in Scripture, but it's not explicit. And I promise you that any, uh, you know, Protestant would say that they believe in the Trinity, Right because, uh, you know, that they're Christians and all Christians believe in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
But even though the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are mentioned and the doctrine of the Trinity is implied, it's implicit, not explicit. Okay, so that's why we need the church. Okay, a lot of guys, you know, on a lot of Protestants, they'll try to take a verse and take it out of context. So our rule of faith is, yeah, okay, we, we believe everything in Scripture, but when you see a verse that seems to contradict another verse, you got to do what? First, look at the verses before it and after it to get a context, okay? Then expand that and look at the whole, the whole book of the Bible that it's from and to try to get a theme from that. Then expand that and look at Scripture as a whole, and you should be able to, uh, especially with the guidance of the church, the one true church, be able to reconcile those apparent, I say apparent, uh, discrepancies, because they're, they are, they are, I should say, they are not contradictions. Okay. So we've, uh, now we're, we're going to get to uh, Corinth there. And in Corinth, they have this statue of Aphrodite there. And Aphrodite is, you know, one of the goddess of love, right? And so there's a cult going on there. Uh, actually, they have a temple to Aphrodite. And uh, in that temple, um, guys would go to, quote unquote, worship the goddess of love, you know, the fertility goddess. And they would do so by, how do I put this delicately? Um, giving of themselves to temple prostitutes who were kind of stand-ins for the um, for the goddess Aphrodite, if if you will. So it was probably pretty easy to recruit guys to join that cult, right? Because uh, you know, I mean, if they wanted to get away for a while, they could say, "Well, I'm I'm going to go to church and offer up something to the goddess." And of course, what they were doing was uh, being with, in the biblical sense, uh, temple prostitutes. So um, there, 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 we have it. So now moving on, this is what Paul's up against. It's pretty easy to uh, market uh, if if you're trying to uh, you know move on with that cult there. But Paul's not trying to move on with the cult. He's going to try to fight against them. He moves to Corinth and he meets uh, a Jew there in verse two of chapter eighteen named Aquila, and uh, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius, that's the emperor at the time, the Roman emperor, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So here we see another uh, where good things happen out of bad things, right? Priscilla and Aquila, they were Jews. They're kicked out of Rome. They think, oh, that's bad, right? So they go to Corinth where they're able, where they're allowed to live. And because of being in Corinth, that's where they meet Paul. And we and they have a very important part in Paul's ministry. Paul actually ends up working with them, you know, as a uh, tent maker. But they they help to spread uh, Paul's works, as we shall see later on. They were all tent makers. So again, an example, you know, if you get a bad transfer or something like that, or you have to move uh, to a place you don't really want to. 
be open for God's direction because you are in whatever place he sends you, whether it's a different city, a different job, whatever, because that's where God wants you at that time. And uh, so uh, they they move on and uh, it says in verse 8 in, in Corinth, it says, many of the Corinthians who heard believed and were baptized. So belief is important. Baptism is important. And um, so we know, again, what belief entails. So um, one night in a vision, this is verse 9 of chapter 18, the Lord said to Paul, do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. That might be a good verse, uh, 9 in the beginning of 10, a uh, good life verse. Uh, you might consider getting that uh, getting a calligraphy of that and putting that on your wall. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. Um, no one will attack and harm you, for I have many people in this city. Paul settled there, verse 11, for a year and a half and taught the word of God among them. So then, so he's there for a year and a half, and then he uh, sails for Syria together with Priscilla and Aquila. Again, you've got this map of the second missionary journey, so you can follow along. And they reach Ephesus, and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there. So again, had, that, had Priscilla and Aquila not been kicked out of Rome, they wouldn't have met Paul in Corinth, and they wouldn't be able to minister to folks in Ephesus when they move on there. So follow the map. Um, and he's, uh, they, uh, he stays for a short time in Ephesus, and they asked him for to stay a longer time, but he did not consent. But uh, he said, I will come back to you again, God willing. And of course, he does in his third missionary journey, which we're going to pick up on in chapter 19. And uh, so I think that, um, well, here's how Priscilla and Aquila get used again. There's a Jew, in verse 24, there's a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, Egypt, an eloquent speaker, arrived in Ephesus. He was an authority in the scriptures he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and with ardent spirit spoke and taught accurately about Jesus, although he knew only the baptism of John. In other words, John the Baptist, that is to say, baptism of repentance. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And uh, when he wanted to cross to Achaia, also in Greece, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. After his arrival, he gave great assistance to those who had come to believe through grace. He vigorously refuted the Jews in public, establishing from the scriptures that the Messiah is Jesus. So think about it. Um, Priscilla and Aquila, kicked out of Rome, go to Corinth. If they hadn't gone to Corinth, they wouldn't have met Paul. If uh, they hadn't have met Paul, Paul wouldn't have taken them with uh, him to uh, Ephesus. If they hadn't have gone to Ephesus, they wouldn't have been able to straighten out this guy, Apollos, 
who ended up being a very good uh, uh, witness for Christ as he talked to others. So it's all part of God's plan. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we recognize that you have a plan for all of us. And sometimes bad things happen that are that they they are seemingly bad at the time, or they are actually bad at the time. But we know your hand is always on us, and you have a purpose. And so help us to align our will with your will, so that we will be looking for um, what we are to do for the kingdom and count it all as a chance to show your glory. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So come back uh, next time. We'll be on chapter 19, and we will see the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey, uh, where he goes back to Ephesus. So take care. We'll talk to you next time. 